Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever, ever. Amen. 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 The Word the Holy Spirit has spoken to us here at Metro for 2020, but it's in the Bible, so it's for everyone anyway, is Thy Kingdom Come. Last Sunday, we spoke about uh, Matthew 5, 6 and 7, because the Lord's Prayer is right in the middle of that, which is Jesus' first leadership session to His 12 disciples. He's speaking to the core of this whole new team. You've got to remember that when Jesus appears, spiritual life is done according to the rules and the rituals of the Pharisees. Pharisees were really big on judgment. They were really big on all the detail and you've got to get it exactly right. And if you miss one thing, you're done. They were absolutely great about all that stuff. But Jesus said, you've forgotten about the things that really matter. And so that's why Matthew 5, 6 and 7 and what we call the Beatitudes that kick it off, that's why they matter. And that's why we're speaking about it in these three Sunday nights on the Spirit of the Kingdom. Because I meet Christians all the time that know the Bible, that know John 3, 16. They've said the sinner's prayer, invited Jesus into their heart. If they get killed today, they're going to heaven. Do not pass, go. Don't collect $200. They're going there for sure. They're confident in all that. They talk to God, pray and read the Bible, but they are missing the Spirit of the Kingdom. And because they're missing the Spirit of the Kingdom, then the benefits and the impact of the Kingdom is is missing out of their life. Last Sunday night, I'm not going to do it again, takes too long, but we imagined ourselves, as lots of us have done, sitting at a restaurant and we're about to get served and it's fine dining and uh, you sit there and you're getting ready for it. Out comes a waiter or a waits person or whatever we call them nowadays, a hospitality expert, and they come on out and we've all been in a place where somebody served us poorly. I remember a restaurant my wife and I used to go to because it was owned by the father of a friend of ours just up in Mount Lawley. And they had a guy who was the head waiter who seriously, I wonder how he ever got the job. Because when he kind of got to know who we were and when we'd sit down, he would come, park himself beside us like or pull up a chair and then start telling us about the worst customer that he'd had that week. And I'm sitting there going like, I'm here with my wife. I'm not really interested in, you know, well, I kind of am. But, you know, telling me how bad your last customer was, I'm not sure whether you think that'll get you a bigger tip or not. Uh, you know, he just didn't understand the whole thing of hospitality. But then last Sunday night I had Luke. Luke is a genius of hospitality. And uh, he's married to Nikki, who is out here carrying that big heavy table all by herself because she is so strong because she is an athlete. She really is. She's a ballerina with the WA Ballet, so she's an athlete. And, uh, but Luke has been in hospitality all of his very old life. 
He's all of about 24. And, uh, but he's been in hospitality. And when Luke serves you, like it's, it's, hello, thank you for coming to our restaurant. Is there anything I can give you? I'll be back in a minute with water for your table, yada, yada. And on he goes like that. And we all know what it's like to be served by two different people, one doing it really well and one doing it poorly. And here's the point to all of that. The spirit with which a deed is done has greater impact than the deed itself. You can be a Christian and help somebody, but do it in such a way that there's zero impact or worse. Is there anybody in the building that's ever been turned off by a Christian that was going to go to heaven, but their time on earth was going to be more damaged than it was going to be good? Huh? Three people in the building. We've all met someone like that, haven't we? We met someone who, you know, I remember going with my wife to a church once. I, I don't want to, you know, oh, I've got so many stories. I've got so many stories. We were in one church uh, and uh, this lady who, well, she told us her job was welcome and proceeded to spend the next five minutes as the service is getting ready to start, telling us everything she didn't like about her church. And she didn't like what the pastor was doing and she didn't like the music. And, she didn't, and I'm kind of going like, I'm not sure you are making us welcome. Uh, we all know what that's like, but we also know what it's like to go somewhere and meet somebody who by the way they do it, you just, you know, it wouldn't matter what else they did. There was love there and there was care there and there was something great there. So Jesus is speaking all this stuff not to fill up our doctrine book. He's speaking all this so that, listen to me, so you and I as Christians, if you are one, if you're not, you can become one. But you and I as Christians will not just go through the motions and say, I believe and, and serve, but we'll do it in such a way that the deed has impact because of the way we go about it. The spirit with which a deed is done always has greater impact than the deed itself. And so that's why we read Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. You know all these, you'll heard them most likely before, even if you haven't spent much time in church. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, they'll be comforted, the meek, they'll inherit the earth. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, they'll be filled. Merciful, they'll obtain mercy, pure in heart. See God, peacemakers, be called the children of God. Persecuted for righteousness' sake, there's the kingdom of heaven. Men are reviled, persecuted. You say, all oh, men are of evil against you, falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. All of those things there are what we call the Beatitudes. But really what they contain is the spirit of the kingdom. And listen, I could not stress this enough. Because you as a believer get to represent Jesus. You as a believer get to be the only Jesus some people will read. And trust me, many people are not gonna leaf through every page looking for the fine print about God. They, they're gonna just look at you. You know, so many people say, well, God looks on the heart. My response always is, yes, but He's the only one who does. Matter of fact, if you go back to that Scripture that gets quoted, uh, you'll discover that it's not at all saying like most people want it to say, which is I can be slack, I can be half-hearted, I can do a poor job and it's okay because after all, God looks on the heart. It actually doesn't mean that. It's actually telling you something that we all know already, that even though God looks at the heart, everybody else is looking at the outside of you, the way you go about it. 
is so important. And when we get into these nine that are here, because there's nine blessings in this thing. I only discovered this week, the light kind of came on. I'll I'll claim it was the Holy Spirit that did it. But I began to realise that they came in three sets of three. I never realised that when I said we're going to do three last week and three this week and three next week. Uh, But they go in sets of three. The first one, first set of three is blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. I don't have time to go through all those again, but go get the podcast get it off the app or whatever, listen to it again, because every one of those three are about you and I making room for God in everything we do. It's about our posture towards heaven. It's about not acting like I've got it all worked out. It's about not acting as though somehow or other, now that I've been a Christian for X number of years, I've got it all together. I don't need any more help, thank you very much. It's actually saying the opposite of that. It's blessed are the poor in spirit. Literally means blessed are the beggars. And a beggar is somebody who has forsaken pride in order to get help. That's what a beggar is. A beggar is someone who says, you know what? I'm embarrassed. I don't want to do this, but I'm going to lay aside my pride because I need help in my life. Every one of those three are about making room for God in your life. They're about continuing as a Christian to always be relying on God. And I know some of what I'm saying, even when it comes out of my mouth, I go, well, that could be a cliche, but I don't mean it to be so, you know that. It's not that at all. It's trying to live a life that says, God, what would you like to do? God, what would you like to do? God, how can I in my life not just live my life with occasional thoughts about God? But how do I live out this daily thing so that you can speak to me, so that you can challenge me, so that you can move and do things not only in me, but through me? The second three, as we're about to see in a minute, these three are about allowing the Holy Spirit to direct and change who you are and the way you respond. These three are about that. The last three, it's fairly obvious, are all about relationships. The whole three, the last three, are all about the spirit of the kingdom when it comes to others. Because like Pastor Bruce said before, there's no such thing in the kingdom as just me. It's always community. It's our Father, which art in heaven, not my Father. It's our Father. The Lord is my shepherd, but He's our Father. And so when it comes, we'll get into that one next week. But I just want to quickly jump into this number four here, the fourth one, which is blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want you to notice that it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after. In other words, there's something up ahead that they are headed towards. There's something up there. The question here is, which way is my inner compass pointed? I talk to people all the time that get into difficult spaces, difficult things health-wise or whatever. And often the first thing they say to me is, oh, Jeff, I I don't feel worthy. I don't feel like I've been a good enough Christian. I always say the same thing I said to someone this week. Understand this, that Paul got a revelation of grace in the latter part of his ministry, not at the beginning. 
I'm not saying you had no revelation of grace, but the great revelation of my grace is sufficient for thee didn't come when he's a newbie in the faith. It came when he'd been following Jesus for a long, long time. And he needed to learn all over again that you will never surpass grace. You'll never overtake it. You never get to the point where you go, I don't need it anymore. This guy was saying to me, I just feel like, I'm, I, you know, I could have done more. I go, hello, join the human race. Are we all like that? I said, I actually don't think you'll ever get to the point where you won't need grace anymore in your life. I don't think you'll ever get there because the day you do is the day you say, God, I don't need you anymore because He's the God of all grace. Huh? So that's not to excuse poor character or anything else, but it's all about which way are you headed. It's not where you are tonight. Listen to me. It's not where you are tonight, but it's which direction are you headed. There's a verse I used to read. Well, I'd read it a couple of times. I always thought it was just weird. Like how many people know there are some weird verses in the Bible? Seriously, if you don't know that, it's because you haven't read enough of it because there's some weird thing. Like don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. What the? Like don't boil, why did God write that in there? There's a whole ton of verses in the Bible that I go, why did God put them in there? Well, you kind of got to dig a little bit when you discover the mother's, do you want to hear about that one? about the mother's milk thing? Why? Because it was a fertility rite amongst the pagan people around the promised land. That's what they did. They would go, if we boil a goat in its mother's milk, somehow or other, we're more likely to have babies. So when he said, don't do that, he wasn't saying about the way you prepare your food stuff. What he was saying is don't act like them and trust into some kind of ritual or some kind of spooky rite in order to get an answer from God. That's what that one's about. But I'll tell you the other really weird verse. This used to puzzle me. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 3. And it's, it's so, can I say it's Zen-like. It's so mystical. It's like, wow. It says this, And if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. And I, I used to read that and go, that is strange and I have like, you know what I mean? God never puts anything in the Bible because He's just going, look, fill that up. There's a bit of a space there. We need to end the verse, you know, like a Beatles song. Nah, 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 you know, or, you know, whatever. Uh, it's, it's not like that. He, he put it in there because there's something in it you need to know. And I used to read that and I'd go, and I asked friends of mine that were Jewish and were Bible teachers and I'd go, and they look at me and go, I don't know. And I'd go, whatever. One day I'm literally, I'm driving down the freeway here in Perth, headed up to Osborne Park. I'm driving up the freeway and all of a sudden I went, I actually shouted out of my car, it was like Archimedes and you know, the water thing. I yelled out, Eureka! Well, I don't think I said that. I think I said, praise God or something. And I yelled out, I've got it! Uh, driving up the road because all of a sudden I realised what it was about, what this verse is about. You want to know what it's about? How many people are now interested? You've got something to tell your friends this week. Go, I know something you don't know. If a tree falls to the north or to the south, in the place where it falls, there it shall lie. Put that on Twitter. huh? Some of you are looking like, can we go back to the quiet candles and stuff? This is my friend Peter Gomp. Will I pick on Peter? No, I'm going to pick on Sebastiano. Come up here, Sebastiano. Sebastiano, give him a hand. He, uh, come on up here. Just stand here a minute. 
faith is way. You are champion boot scooter for Italy. Yes, yes. Champion ice skater for Italy. I contested on The Voice Italy. The Voice Italy? Italy's got talent. Same thing. Same to me. Anyhow, I wouldn't have understood any of it. Did you play the piano accordion while you boot scooted or what? Is that? No. Uh... No, that's okay. Just the only answer we want is no, yeah. So just hold on to me a little minute here. Put both your feet together. All right? Hold on to my arm. You better hold on good. Hold on. I'd hold on if I was you. Because this is what Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 3 means. It means this. How many people think if I let him go, he's going to end up over there? How many people think if I let him go, he's headed right down there? How many of you are not sure in case this is a trick question? How many people are going, oh, I'm sorry, I checked out for a minute there. I was on Instagram. Just seeing if, how many honest people there are. You know what? You know that if I let him go, he goes there. It doesn't matter what he wants. He's going there. Ecclesiastes 11.3 simply says this. <laughs> it's called trust is hard, isn't it? <laughs> isn't trust difficult? Don't wait too much. Uh, if I let him go, where does he fall? He falls in the direction he's been leaning. And what this verse simply says is this. It says, whichever way you're headed is the way you're going to end up. It's as simple as that. When Jesus said, blessed are the hunger and thirst after righteousness, He says, if you keep going after righteousness, it doesn't matter where you are now. If you go after righteousness, oh Lord, your palms getting sweaty because mine are. Look at the blood in his hand right now. Huh? Look at that. Oh, newly married. His wife is down there praying away, <laughs> saying, God, save my husband. Huh? If I let him go, he falls in the direction he's been leaning. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao. Grazie. Grazie. Prego, prego. If I let him go, that's where he goes. Here's the question. Which way are you headed? Seriously. Because I meet people that stumble and they get up and listen, they stumble and get up and go the opposite direction. Huh? They stumble and get up and go, I'm not going back to church. I'm not going back to church because I feel guilty. I've had so many people over the years say to me, I turn up to church and I feel unworthy. To which I say, keep coming. Because the enemy is just trying to point out to you all the wrong stuff but you've got to stop leaning into that and you've got to start leaning into the righteousness which comes from Christ. Amen. You've got to start leaning into who God says you are and not keep on leaning into who you say you are. Whatever you lean towards is where you're going to end up in your life. Blessed are those that are hungry and thirst after righteousness. After righteousness. I'm going to keep going towards righteousness in my life. Amen. Tell your neighbour, I'm headed after righteousness. Here's the second one. Here's the second one. Number five, if you're counting down the list of nine. Number five says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. A lot of these I read them and I just go, yeah, and of course, that's the way it works. But then I start thinking about it and I think about Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 8, with a woman caught in adultery. I could go further into that, of course, obviously. The fact that they found a woman 
in adultery always makes me wonder why only the woman is poor in front of Jesus. That's another question. Obviously, we won't go into that one. But however, here is a woman caught in adultery. You know the way the story goes. They all turn to Jesus and say, according to our law, according to our law, she ought to be stoned to death. What do you say? And Jesus could have fobbed them off with some PC kind of an answer. But instead of that, He takes the opportunity to demonstrate to them the spirit of the kingdom. Please hear me on this. Because so many Christians have got a doctrine of the spirit of the kingdom, but the outworking of it is the spirit of the world. Now don't all applaud me because I'm saying stuff so well, but it's true. When we start judging and criticising and wishing harm and evil upon people because of what we've caught them in. We demonstrate that we're with the group that are standing around Jesus. Oh my goodness, I could dig into this one so hard and some of you will hate me for it. Some of you will applaud me for it. I'm not really interested in either one of those apart from the Scripture says, Jesus bent down in the dust and started writing. I don't know what He wrote. I personally like to think He started writing down the sins of all of them, starting with the oldest one who had a lot more. I don't know what He wrote. Maybe He wrote about, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I don't know. Maybe He wrote that. Maybe He wrote Psalm 51, Lord, Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit with me. Maybe he wrote that, I don't know. Whatever it was he wrote, he said this, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. And it says this, listen to it, it's very clear. It says, and so they began to leave beginning with the oldest. Why was that? Because the oldest had done a lot more sins. He had a lot more memory of all the places he'd messed up. And so he leaves. And finally, everyone's gone and Jesus gets up from there. This is, let's read it in here. It says this, When Jesus had raised Himself up and saw no one but the woman, He said to her, Woman, where are you, those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Now watch this because this is the Spirit of the Kingdom. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now, He didn't just didn't say, don't worry about it. Who cares? After all, we all mess up. He said, go and sin no more. The spirit of the kingdom to someone who's bruised and broken is one of mercy. Which group do you stand with when it comes to our world today? Are you standing with the Jesus group saying, neither do I condemn you. Go and send them more. Or are we standing with the other guys that are going, no, you're finished. Then I began to think through the Scriptures that I've learned and known. And I was thinking about how mercy everywhere in the Bible that I can find, mercy in Scripture is always an act never an attitude. Mercy is never in the Bible a, well, mm, it's peace to you all. Mm, everything is beautiful. You know, 
You are, we are the world. We are the children. It's never that kind of soppy kind of stuff, but it's always an act. Jesus did not just be there and have an attitude of mercy. He did something that released this woman. I woke up with this thought early in the morning one day this week as I was chewing over all this. So much so that I got up and wrote it down. The smallest deed always has more impact than the greatest intention. The smallest deed always has more impact than the greatest intentions that people have. Don't you know people whose their intentions are amazing? I've had them tell me, oh, pastor, oh, one day I'm going to buy the church a building. I'm going to buy a TV station. And they mean well. What they're telling me is their intention. Some days when I'm feeling a little bolder, I just simply say, don't tell me what you're going to do. Tell me what you're doing right now. How much did you give last time? Oh, well, you know, I'm waiting for the big thing. Gee, it's quite near tonight. Are you all, are you all right? Huh? You're all just thinking hard? I hope so. The smallest deed always has more impact than the greatest intention. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit, listen to me, the Holy Spirit always prompts us to do. The Holy Spirit, listen, you know, I told you this story last week and, I, and I'm, I'm confessing, I mucked this up because I went down to buy some, some takeaway food, uh, whatever one night, and I drive past this guy begging. And I'm, you know, just driving past him in my car. He looked up at me and smiled. I remember that clearly. He looked up at me and smiled and I went. Because the honest truth is, I didn't want to do anything about it. So I went and I got my food, got in my car, turned left, got in my car, drove out without looking, and then I'm driving home. And how many people know what it's like when the Holy Spirit gets in your backseat? Some of you don't know what that's like. Trust me, try it tonight. He'll get in your backseat. And all the way, he's just saying, excuse me, excuse me. I'm going, oh. So I went home. I sat there, ate my dinner. Then I said to my wife, I'm going back to the shops. She said, what for? I said, there's a guy begging back there. I need to take him something. My wife, just, she's just used to it because her and the Holy Spirit are often in the backseat. <laughs> I used to tell my wife when we got married, I'd say, you're not the Holy Spirit, you know. And after a while, I realised that was true. But the number of times the voices are so similar, I'm just not sure. So when she said something to me now, I'm still <clears throat> being the macho man I am. A few times I was going, yeah, whatever. Uh, then I'll go away and go, well, I don't know, that might, that might have sounded a bit, I didn't realise the Holy Spirit was a woman, but anyway, uh, he's not. But anyway, it's, don't think I'm preaching that, I'm not. Uh, so I go back there and here's the bit. I go back there and the man's gone. Oh, yeah, you're right, exactly right. Because you know how I feel now. I'm going like, oh, God. And I tell God, God, I'll never do that again. Because you know what? I was there thinking, yeah, but what if? And what if I give him that and he does this? And what if? And I realised that the whole deal wasn't about what that man was going to do with my money. The whole deal was about this. The Holy Spirit always prompts you to do. He's not prompting you to feel 
Pentecostals particularly, we love the whole feeling thing. We're going to feel it, you know, like, wow. And if we don't feel it, we, we'll manufacture it until we do feel it. You know, we'll, we'll fake it till we make it sometimes. But the Holy Spirit is not interested in how you feel. That's a bit of a shock. Holy Spirit actually doesn't give a rip whether you feel compassionate. What He cares about is whether you do it. Are you all here tonight? Huh? See, Acts chapter 1 and, and verse 1 says this. It says, these are all the things that Jesus began, watch this, both to do and to teach. He wasn't just a teacher, he's a doer. And I'm interested that the Bible puts doing before the teaching bit. Are you doing the stuff that needs to get done? Because the kingdom of God, listen, is a kingdom of action, not a kingdom of emotion. So do you always feel like it? No, but it's, are you doing it? Amen? Come on now. Come on now. Some of you are just still looking at me a little bit like, can I get more nailed than I'm getting nailed right now? But I, I began that by confessing my failures. And I wish that man was back there. I went back there and I was going to give him a lot more money on the second visit than I would have given him on the first one. But he was gone and I missed my moment to do. I remember telling God, I was, I, honestly, I was, I was challenged by it, going, God, I'm never going to walk past somebody again. You tell me, you tell me to do it, I'll just do it. You prompt me. I want to, I want to be a doer of the Word, not a believer of the Word, a thinker of the Word, or worse, just a preacher of the Word. Amen. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll obtain mercy. It's really saying blessed are the people that are doing something. Because the kingdom is not about what I feel. The kingdom is about what I do in the kingdom. Will you have great feelings? I hope so. Part of what we'll talk about this year is that verse in Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I know that joy matters an enormous amount to God. He says in His presence, there's fullness of joy. I'm not denying emotion or saying they're irrelevant because they really are incredibly important. However, they're not the most important. Mercy is how we respond and react to the broken and the bruised. And trust me, there's lots of them around. They don't all sit in the front of a shopping centre with a bit of cardboard saying, please help. Sometimes they're the person next to your your desk at work or the person that you buy your coffee from or whatever else, they're just the person that somehow or other you get prompted to do. Huh? Come on. Here's the th third one in this set. Number six. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I read that first and I honestly go, oh God, that's, I'm probably a bit done there because I'm not sure how pure is pure. Silver is sterling silver at 92.5%. Gold, you've got nine carat, you've got 12 carat, you've got 18 carat, you've got 24 carat. And uh, they all denote the purity of it. But God doesn't say, blessed are the nine carat gold Christians. 
blessed are the sterling silver. We're not going to worry about the other 7.5% because after all, we're pretty close. And so I read that and think, well, let me let you off the little hook a bit. Here with Matthew 5 verse 8 in the message version. It says, you are blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. The first three that we spoke about are about making room for God. This three we're talking about are about letting the Holy Spirit not bring something to me, but do something in me so that it changes then the way I treat others, which is next week. Are you with me? Blessed are the pure in heart. It's a work of the Holy Spirit because if you could purify yourself, then you don't need Jesus. If you can purify yourself, you definitely don't need the Holy Spirit because last I checked, He's called the Holy Spirit because that's what He does when He touches people. Huh? Come on. You know the reason why you feel guilty when you stuff up, when you misstep, when you do what you shouldn't do? You know why? Because the Holy Spirit's with you. Not because you've got a guilty conscience that have grown up in an Anglo-Saxon waspy world, uh, you know, and have got hang-ups from your, you know, your civilization, cultural background. It's, got, it's not that. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit saying, nah, nah, not do that. But it's more than that. Let me read this to you. Because I'm not a Greek theologian. I know a little Greek, Dukas. It's the Greek word katharos. And I'm not trying to be impressive, I'm just reading, all right? The word katharos is not used here in the moral sense by Christ. That was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. He's not saying, you know, you've got to get your whole act together and fix it all up. This is what it says. Jesus uses the term catharsis and heart in this kingdom principle in reference to the enlightened heart, the eye of the heart that is unsold and unblemished from anything that would cloud its vision and impede its understanding in the pursuit of truth. He talks about the light of the eye being single. The single eye, I'm quoting, is the eye that sees straight. Pure vision is straight vision. A couple of years ago, I'm flying to Cambodia to transform and I said to my wife on the plane, I said, there's something weird about my eye. She said, what do you mean? I said, I feel like there's too much light coming in. Well, it was just one of those things that just felt wrong. I went to an optometrist in Cambodia who just said, don't know. <laughs> I, I persevered a little bit longer. Let's be honest, it's you know, not the medical peak of the universe, but I don't mean to be rude to Cambodians, but. I went to an ophthalmic surgeon. He came out wearing his surgical scrubs. He just stepped out of theatre. He does all this stuff and scans my eye and yada, yada. And he says, I think you've got eye strain. Don't read so much. What else am I going to do? Anyway, I come home. Don't think any more about it. And then on the Wednesday, I got home on the Saturday, I got home on the Wednesday, I looked at my computer and a perfectly horizontal line had that in it. I thought, that can't be good. I rang up the eye specialist because I'd had a basketball injury years ago where a guy stuck his finger up to here in my eye socket. Yeah, it was great fun. Anyway, they said, where are you? Are you overseas? I said, no, I'm here. They said, 
can you come in? I said, yeah. They said, now. I went, now? I said, now. I go in there, the guy does all the stuff here and says, you've got a detachment of the retina and you need to get it fixed now. I go, now I'm busy. They go, now or you're blind? Do you know, they eventually fixed it and it was a great long involved operation. If you want to hear the gory details, come back later. I'll draw your diagram. Tell you how they sucked all the jelly out of my eye. <laughs> I just say that to Gross Hayden now because he just totally doesn't get it. But anyway, my point is this. Because of what damage had been done to my eye, I couldn't see properly through that eye and I needed to get my sight restored. Jesus is saying in this verse, blessed are the pure in heart, the ones who see clearly, for they get to see what God is doing. And when you and I have come from a life and a background where our vision's been damaged, the way you see you is not at all. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors and how many of us feel more than conquered? The Bible says we are the righteousness of God in Christ and how many of us feel like we are the dirtiest thing in the kingdom? Huh? And we have had our sight damaged the way we see God. I'm not going to come and ask God that because I'm not good enough. That's the way you see God. Jesus is saying, why don't you come and get your sight restored? That's what Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says this. It says, don't be conformed to this world, to the world's way of seeing stuff, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can see. Jesus told the, one of the churches in Revelation, buy of me eyes salve and anoint your eyes so you can see. Because a whole lot of us have been so messed up by the world in which we live and the spirit of the kingdom is this, get your eyesight restored. Start seeing clearly who God says you are. Start seeing what God says. The opposite of clear vision is double vision. It's not blindness, it's double vision. James says if you're double-minded, you don't get anything from God. You don't see God at work. You're going to go to heaven, I would imagine. But however, you're missing out on the impact you can have because the spirit of the kingdom is not the spirit working in you. Are you with me? Let's pray. You go, well, I'm not sure I got all that. Well, get the podcast and listen to it again. Read the Bible yourself. Drag into it and start going, God, is that what you say about me? I do know this, that every one of those things is a restoration. You know, when they operated on my eye, they stuck me in hospital. I'm not going to tell you the operation because some of you just will get grossed out. But I was just glad I was unconscious. They do that and then I go home with a patch over my eye and then my wife has to put drops on my eye every day, a couple of times a day for I don't know how long. It was quite a while. They told me not to change my glasses prescription for six months because they said it'll take six months. They said you can't fly. I had to wear a green band around here that said warning, gas bubble in eye. I was supposed to be in Nicaragua with One Nation one day and I had to cancel, couldn't go. They said, I said, what happens if I fly? He says, well, your eye will swell up and die. Well, that's got to be bad. My point with that is this. I had to wait nearly two years for this to come back to the way it was meant to be. 
So if you're a Christian here tonight and you go, Jeff, I feel like I'm just never getting there because this week you never nailed it. Can I encourage you to say, God, I'm going to go after righteousness. That's going to be the way I'm going to lean in my life. I'm not leaning the other way. Lord, I'm going to follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit for the things You want me to do. Sometimes He prompts me to read the Bible more or to pray. I've had that a lot in my life. Just pray right now. Pray more. Just how long? I don't know. Fast. Whatever. I found I'm always better if I just go, yep, I don't understand it, but I'll do it. Blessed are the pure in heart. God, I'm going to let You restore what I see. So I get it right. Heavenly Father, thank You for everybody that's here. Thank You, Jesus, that You don't bring us here to beat us up. You bring us here to lift us up. So I pray for every person that's here, Lord, every single one. You know what their life is about. You know where they've come from or what they've left behind. I pray for the people here, Lord, that have left stuff behind, hoping that being here will somehow or other bring the answer they could never find back there. I pray for those of us, Lord, who've not been able to leave anything behind because it feels like it still stays with us. It's a part of our horizon at the moment, Lord. But if we'll just keep on walking with You, the scenery will change. We'll see something different to what we see now. I pray for those people here who are struggling with stuff that they keep tripping over. God, would You help them to get up and keep on going after the righteousness of God. Hungering after that, Lord, would You help us in Jesus' Name. We thank You that You're a God of grace. You're a God of great love toward us and You're reaching to us and helping us. Thank You, Holy Spirit, that we are not doing this on our own. We aren't following You out of our strength and our ability and our willpower, but we're simply being open to You, letting You help us in the Name of Jesus. Come on, let's stand together. Team, come, just lead us.